Frontier War Stories, episode 22. My guest is Patty McHughes, singer, songwriter, and also teacher as well, which we'll find out. Uh, just a disclaimer, um, this podcast, um, this episode, and many episodes, uh, we'll be speaking about uh, very heavy uh, content. We'll be speaking about massacres, uh, Aboriginal people who have um, you know, died as a result of massacres as well. Um, and so welcome to Frontier War Stories. Before I go any further, I would like to pay my respects to the country on which I make this podcast on and where my guests are from and also the listeners. Also, I also would like to pay my respects to Aboriginal people who fought in the Frontier Wars, which began as early as uh, 1788 and lasted until the 1930s. That's a, roughly 140 years that Aboriginal people continue to fight. I would also like to pay my respects to all Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people uh, across this beautiful continent today. Uh, each episode I speak with different Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people about research, books, oral histories, documents, uh, that document the first 140 years of conflict and resistance. These times are the frontier war stories, and these are our war stories. Uh, and this is episode 22. Uh, just to sort of kick us off and go into uh, this episode, what I'm going to do is just read uh, some of the lyrics uh, to the song titled Jin's Leap, uh, which is performed by Patty, and which is, will be the sort of glue uh, to this episode. <clears throat> On the Camilleroy Highway near the town of Bogabrai, there is a little truck stop where most travellers pass by. But occasionally the weary or those who need to take a leak will step beside the spot by the name of Jin's Leap. Now Jin's Leap is a cliff face, a mighty wall of stone left high above the plain of a volcano years ago. There is a little sign that uh, tuck, that's tucked. Uh, there is a little sign there tucked underneath its face. Uh, that tells all who reads it how Jin's Leap got its name. Um, yeah, you know, so as we know already uh, with sort of different uh, mountains, rivers, uh, creeks, um, cliff faces uh, around Australia, they already, we know that, um, you know, some of them, you know, Slaughterhouse Creek, um, you know, the, 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 these names are very synonymous with certain areas where Aboriginal people uh, met their end uh, in these in these earlier frontier times. Uh, this one in particular, though, has uh, a double story uh, uh, to it as well, uh, which I want, you know, my guest, uh, Paddy, uh, to explain. But before we get into that, hey, Paddy, how you going? And uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Oh, it's lovely to talk to you, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, and as I just sort of mentioned earlier, you are a singer-songwriter as well. Um, before we get into that question, yeah, just tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, look, mate, I, that's right. I'm a singer-songwriter, and I think that's a, an important thing to um, maybe point out at the beginning of the, the interview. I'm, I'm not a historian here, and um, all the things that I'm going to be talking to you about, you know, it's not um, necessarily thoroughly academic research. It's more, you know, a songwriter, an artist who took an interest in this particular place that you mentioned, Jim's Leap, and um, has done a bit of work in trying to get to the bottom of it for the, the sake of, you know, telling my story through through a song. So sort of make that clear. I'm, I'm not a historian. Yeah, I'm just a, a humble singer-songwriter folk artist. 
Deadly, deadly brother. Um, um, okay, well, I want to ask you that again uh, very soon, but in relation to Jin's Leap and you writing a song, how are yeah. you sort of related or how, how, does, how, does the, how does the connection with Jin's Leap and yourself come about? Yeah, well, Jin's Leap, for those who don't know, as you mentioned, it's just one of many places. You know, there's actually a, quite a few leaps and Jin's Leaps around Australia, but the one I'm referring to today in, in the song is uh, just outside the town of Bogabri in uh, northwest New South Wales, so near the town of Narrabri. It's probably the largest, biggest town close to it. Um, look, my, my, my connection to this place is I, I have a memory of being a young boy and driving from Tamworth to Narrabri, and Tamworth where I grew up, and I was with my dad in the car, and I remember driving past Jim's Leap and my dad pointing out and saying, look, there's there's Jim's Leap, and, and that's where, you know, a bunch of Aboriginal people were, were pushed off the cliff to their death. And, um, and I, I, I don't remember anything else my dad said. I'm sure he had more nuance to that and it would have been, I would have asked him many questions at the time about what, what happened and why that was the case. Um, but all I really remember from that first, first trip was that story and how it shocked me and, and the name in itself because, you know, I'd grown up being told that, that you know, gin was a, a terrible word to use and, and here yeah. it was, you know, yeah. on a sign. And, and just like, you know, it was a derogatory term, uh, I believe, uh, used against uh, Aboriginal women uh, in those times as well. And, you know, I think people still refer to, you know, people would still refer to Aboriginal women in that way, uh, sadly, uh, uh, today as well. But, yeah, keep uh, continue, please. Yeah, that, that's right, you know. And, and so, so to hear the name just and, and to see it, you know, printed on the side of the road as like a landmark, you know, as you drove past it sort of, it just, it just really stuck with me. And, um, and that, that moment really stuck, but then it was actually many, many years later, I was uh, driving out to Barn Junction to do a gig with a band that I was in at the time. And, and as we were approaching, uh, Bogabri, I brought up the story of Jin's Lake for the, for the guys in the band, a lot of them were from Sydney and, and hadn't heard of the place and weren't familiar with country New South Wales and a lot of the, the things that happened out there. And, so I, I proudly sort of told them this, this story about, you know, I'm sort of know about this and, you know, we all should know about it. And, you know, it's an absolute disgrace. And I told them about the massacre as I'd been told by my father. And as we, um, as we approached the mountain, there's a, a little spot there where you can pull up. And um, it sounds trivial at the time, but, you know, the guy in the band needed to take a leak. So we, we pulled over on the side of the road and, and, um, and there's this sign there that tells the story of what happened at Jim's Leap. And, and the story on the sign was, one that was very different to the story that I'd been told as a kid, which was a tale of two forbidden lovers, Romeo and Juliet style, um, Aboriginal lovers who had um, gone against the wishes of their tribe and their, you know, their marriage rights, whatever, have, what have you, and decided that, you know, living a life apart um, was, was too, too much of a terrible fate. And they decided to take their, their life from the top of the cliff. Now the guys in the band started asking me like, well, this is completely different to what you told us and what's the deal with that. And, and I, I just didn't have an answer for them. And, um, and then, yeah, so I sort of, over, over the years that followed, I, I kept sort of thinking about the fact that there's these two conflicting stories about this place and, and they're very, very different. And one paints Australian history in a very, you know, terrible light. And the other creates this sort of like romantic ideal and, you know, and creates something that's almost like fairy tale like And I couldn't understand how those two narratives could exist in harmony and in unison at the same time. And that nobody would question that, and that's sort of what start, started my um, my interest in in Jim's Leap, and and then eventually led to me writing the song about it. That's amazing, 
uh, brother, as well. Um, can you tell us a bit about uh, the process in terms of, uh, you know, I, I'm not an artist, I don't know what it's like to, to sort of write a song. Um, I must say, though, this song and many other songs are very, very good. You do a really, really good job at um, telling the story, you know, uh, through the lyrics and, and, th- and through writing um, all your songs. Um, how, you know, obviously this differs from many of your other songs because you're talking about a horrific uh, incident that happened uh, to Aboriginal people in a time when, you know, it, it was very common for, you know, massacres and, and the killing of Aboriginal people to happen. Um, how did you approach the writing of this song? Um yeah, and, and you, you mentioned before that you're not an academic and, you know, uh, you're a singer-songwriter and, and you know, how, yeah, how did you approach that? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm pretty um, pretty anal when it comes to, to writing songs, particularly when I'm writing about something that is not within my immediate experience, you know, like I've been non-Indigenous uh, and talking about something with such sensitivity, I knew that I, I sort of had to get my... my my facts right and I didn't you know I wanted this this song to contribute to the thought processes and the understanding for all people so I made a point of of being sort of quite fastidious about how I learnt about it and I reached out to quite a few people during the process Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people and tried to as best as I could get to get to the bottom of the story and hear it from the horses now so in in the process of writing this song I spoke with you know the then at the time um, head of the Aboriginal Land Council, the Red Chief Land Council in Gunnedah, which was the, the, the mob that was land council that was responsible for, for that area. And um, I spoke to uh, the president of the Bogabri Historical Society. Um, and I spoke to a bunch of people that I, I had contacts with, because I actually grew up in Tamworth on Gamilaroi country where, the, where Jim's Leaf is located. So I knew a few people and I, I reached out and spoke to as many people as I could and tried to get as many voices um, heard before sort of putting anything to paper. And so, yeah, it was a lot of conversations, a lot of phone calls, a lot of digging deep. And, and um, eventually I sort of felt like I had a big enough picture and that I've, I'd spoken to enough people that I could write with some authority on the subject and, and write the song. And, and the whole aim of it really was to just get people to, you know, like I felt, I felt embarrassed by that occasion where, you know, I, I told one story and then a sign told me different. That made me feel really embarrassed. And, also made me feel ashamed and embarrassed that, you know, Australia has yet to fully confront its past and its, its true history. And I felt like that song was a, an attempt to try and, um, you know, just speak the truth and, and bring it into the light and, and, you know, rewrite that false history. Mm, yeah, it's a really sort of, you know, as you sort of mentioned before with your band members, a real clash of sort of histories and narratives and sort of what really uh, happened um, in, in not just particularly in this area, but you know, in in many parts of the country as well. How did you, yeah, come to terms with sort of the the tackling both sides of the story? You know, one where you know on the sign it said it was you know two two young black people, two young Gamilaroi people who were you know the the wrong skin you know couldn't marry. That, that's one sort of story t- told. And then, you know, you, you're here digging for the right one. Um, and and I, I guess in that process of wanting to tell the truth as well, how did you, you know, how did you put pen to paper then? You know, after you've, you've got all, you, you've chatted to all the people, the right people, I guess, you know, you've heard the wrong story. Now you've got to, you know, put it down on paper. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, the, the, the frustrating thing about this and, and so many places like this and in Australia and as you mentioned at the beginning there there's so many like you know poison water creeks and slaughter slaughter falls and all sorts of things you know there's 
there's so many places like this where, unfortunately, you know, the, the actual truth may, may never be known because, you know, for many people, there was a, for a long time, there's been a concerted effort to try and cover it up. And, and there is a level of frustration about that. And I sort of put this in the song. I, 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 I mentioned the, the different stories and how they conflict. And then in the song, I have a line where I say, I don't claim to know history. But um, what I do know is that if you look at the overwhelming evidence that we have now, um, the fact that Aboriginal people in many, many places in Australia, all over Australia, or what we now call Australia, were massacred, were systematically killed, were, um, were kept down and, and in events like what happened at Jin's Leap. You know, it makes me think the, the story of massacre is the story that is, is most likely and most plausible. And to think that, you know, Aboriginal lovers jumped to their death like Romeo and Juliet, it, to me it thinks of a fairy tale and it thinks of a cover-up. So look, I'll, I'll never know the answer and, you know, potentially one day there might be an archaeological dig there. Who knows? They might, they may be able to sort of uncover some, some evidence and shed some more light on this. Um, as far as I know, that's never been done or is never going to happen. Mate. Um, but, um, you know, until such time, unfortunately, we kind of just have to sit in that uncomfortable unknown. And um, But, you know, in the song, as I say, look, I know which side I believe. I know what story to be true and, and I don't have, you know, the, the definitive evidence for that, but I can look at what's happened around Australia and draw my own conclusions, and those conclusions suggest that the only real reason that a place can be called Jim's Leap and continue to be called so in 2020 when we live in a PC world is because probably something bad happened there and, and that name is there because it kind of needs to be. Mm, mm. You know, we um, we live in a time where... You know, uh, sometimes honesty is 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 seen as sort of you know a, a bad thing, you know, um, and it's covered up left, right, and center. Um, you know, I remember, yeah, you know, growing up, I, I I heard of Jin's Leap, you know, and driving from Moree to Sydney and and whatnot as well, um, or catching the XBT from Sydney uh, from Moree to Sydney. Um, you know, you, you always sort of hear the yarns about these different places. Um, and then I think it would have been years ago when I first worked at the station um, that I heard your song as well. And, um, and you know, the first line, as I read before, you know, uh, along the Camilleroy Highway near a town of Bogabri, you know, um, it really you know, got my ears sort of pricked and I listened to the whole thing. And then, you know, I remember sort of chasing down that song and, and thinking, wow, you know, like um, it, it's, you know, one thing, it, it's such a sad and honest song, but it's it, it's so... You know, it's heartwarming knowing that, you know, people, you know, musos like yourself are out here writing and capturing sort of the true history uh, and nature of sort of, you know, our, um, our country and, and the treatments and the brutality of, of, of what was played out. Um, you know, after sort of, you know, putting the song out or, you know, recording the song and, you know, um, performing the song, how has it been received by, you know, Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people? Yeah, look, look. It, it's generally speaking, the song's been really well received. Like I, you know, you, you mentioned at nine at night at the station there, where they originally started playing the song. Um, Uncle Uncle Tiger there started spinning it, and and um, I think because I had done my research and and I was simply adhering to the truth. I think you know, as upsetting as is the content, I think a lot of Aboriginal people, um, or most of the Aboriginal people I've spoken to who've heard the song, have had you know a positive reaction to it because they see it as you know. Um, that, that truth-telling experience, which um, is really important. 
Um, but look, at the other side of the coin to that, Bo, is I, I remember a couple of you know, years ago now, I, I got up and did a version of this song at the Gimpy Muster. And before I played the song, I said, oh, I introduced it by saying, okay, this is a song about Aboriginal genocide. And um, launched into the song. And before I even started singing the first few words, a bunch of cowboys at the back, you know, got up and walked out in absolute disgust. Like I, you know, I'd said something that had deeply upset them. And, um, and I was glad to see them go. I'm like, good, you know, it's their loss. They're not going to sit here and, and learn something. They've clearly got a mindset and bugger and they can leave. But, um, but yeah, look, overwhelmingly it's been really received well. And, and I think, I think as an artist, as a, as a musician, you know, I think, well, I feel from my position anyway, that this is our job. This is what, this is what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to use this amazing medium of music, um, that can really connect to people and um and tell those stories and i also personally feel as a you know a white middle class wealthy person in one of the richest nations in the world like you know all of my privilege has been built off the back of a history that has favored favored you know my my race and my color and um i would i feel a sense of of obligation and, and duty to to do something about that and you know in my case it's not much it's, it's writing a song and and performing and trying to get people to think about something different and and telling it but you know that's um you know my contribution and i feel like that it's an important one and and it's something that i'm yeah really really proud to do and i'm i'm very fortunate that um you know i, I can sing about a topic like this and that aboriginal people have, have been so kind to support me and, and um show support for me like yourself today and yeah, I feel very lucky to have had that happen. No, it's all good, brother. You know, the, like you, you said, you know, the honesty in the song sort of uh, speaks for itself. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, people gravitate to it or, as you mentioned, you know, people walk, you know, uh, storm out of sort of um, uh, out of the gig uh, once you sort of uh, mention that, you know, at watch it. Once there's any mention of sort of um, you know uh, genocide towards Aboriginal people or or some you know something of, of that nature as well, and it's, it's funny you know because like you know uh, in what you were saying, you know the worst has already been done. You know the fact that you know people want to get up and walk out as if you've offended them by saying something bad to them, and you know yeah, that, that, that's definitely their loss as well. Um, with you know. Yourself, you know, you, as we sort of mentioned towards the beginning of the program, you are a singer-songwriter. Um, you're also a teacher as well. Um, you know, do you have these sort of hard conversations in the classroom? Um, and, and I guess, you know, what subject are you sort of teaching? Because me talking to you now, I'd think, oh, you might be English or, or history. But, you know, like, you know, what are you teaching? Yeah, look, you hit the nail on the head, mate. I, I, I teach English and history. Oh, awesome. And um, yeah, look, this 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 is definitely something that I've I've spoken about with with my students over the years. And look, I, I was fortunate enough as well to do the bulk of my teaching. I did nearly a decade working at the Murray School, so which is you know a really progressive school. Um, I know you you even attended there. Yeah, yeah, I went there from year two to year seven, uh, ninety seven to I want to say two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. And look, you know better than I do, mate. That that that, that school is a, an incredible place where. Um, things happen differently at that school and, and particularly when it comes to curriculum, it's sort of one of those places where these sorts of conversations and these um, reimaginings, um, a less colonial imagination, you know, takes hold and, you know, teachers are not only encouraged, but we were given that freedom and that space to, 
to talk about these things and to engage the students with these things that are uncomfortable and, and difficult to teach but are so important and, and necessary and having a true understanding of, of who we are as, as a collective people of what we call modern-day Australia and how our society works and how we're going to move forward you know, together and, and, and working to, to improve the outcomes for, for every person that now calls this place home. And, you know, um, as you mentioned before as well, I'm sure as a teacher you, you strive to do that, but as a musician you strive to do that as well. And, you know, that's definitely something that, you know, I, I try and do as well with the podcast is really sort of look at um, – the 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 unknown facts and what I what I mean by unknown facts is you know uh facts in terms of what historians have put out now what you know um what has been recorded you know in these in these sort of frontier times that have happened and what I mean by unknown is the fact that you know we have a a curriculum uh in our country that doesn't you know honor you know, the true history of this country, you know, uh, there's uh, three sort of aspects of, you know, Australian history that is very prominent um, in school and curriculum. One, you learn that, you know, uh, in 1770, uh, Captain Cook sailed along what now is known as the East Coast, planted the, the British flag uh, in Possession Island, the Torres Straits, and then eight years later, uh, I think it was Arthur Phillip and the first fleet arrived and sort of set up the first established uh, uh, colony and, and settlement um, uh, in what would now become sort of uh, New South Wales, later becoming mm. Australia. And then we sort of fast forward to um, 1901, you know, or, you know we, we sort of graze over this history of, you know, the expansion of the pastoral industry and, and you know, the, the stockmen and the bush ranger sort of history and, you know, the, the uh, what's his name? Um, um, uh, what's that bush ranger that, that one? Ned oh, uh, Kelly, um, you, know, like, Kelly yeah. you know, like he's a part of our folklore here in Australia and, you know, we graze through all of this, you know, and then we come to a point in 1901 where Australia was federated, you know, it's its own country now, Um and then we sort of see the push into, you know, um, um, you know, each state and territory is sort of somewhat established now. Um, they have the jurisdictions, and then yeah, that, that's sort of you know what 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 we learn and what we hear, you know, what we're taught in terms of what happened in Australia. There's like this, we we get to um, you know, nineteen oh one, and then we're like, hey, wait a minute, there's still like a, you know, a hundred and fifteen. Uh, years or or, or or less that you know this whole violent sort of um, uh, conflicts uh, were happening, or if we we even look you know twenty years, uh, twenty nine years beyond sort of nineteen oh one, and we we still having these sort of uh, battles and frontier conflicts here in this, here in Australia as well, and you know um, it's just yeah it's 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 you know it's it's mind boggling to know that you know um there's so much more that we need to to know and and the fact that you know leaving certain parts out of history has really shaped the attitude and the uh, and the identity of non-indigenous mm. peoples uh, uh and their attitudes towards aboriginal uh, people as well it's yeah it's it's mind-boggling it is and you're absolutely right there is this massive gap you know you jump from captain cook coming on the beach and then all of a sudden you're federated and there's some like la-di-da about sheep in the middle. Like 
you're absolutely right. And I, I think this, this gap, not a, in our education system, and I, I was a victim of that. Like I went to school and, I, you know, all this, all, a lot of the stuff that I've learnt about, you know, Aboriginal history and genocide and, and things that, you know, I've, I've sprinkled into my songs and, and, and sung about, I've actually had to go out and, and seek out my, myself because it wasn't taught to me in school. I um, you know, I was fortunate enough that I had parents that were sort of encouraging of that kind of thinking, free thinking, and, and you know, so I was encouraged to do it. But for many, that's not the case. And I, I actually don't think this is an accident. Now, you know, I can't back this up in any way, but this is just my personal thought, but having been teaching for a long time, um, I honestly think that the reason that the majority of Australian history has been blotted out the stuff that we're talking about, the, the the conflict times and those frontier wars where we went from arriving on the beach to, you know, controlling all the land and, you know, calling it, ha- happily calling it Australia. I think that's been deliberately suppressed because that the narrative of Australia is that we're this lucky country that was founded on peace, that it's all harmonious. And I think a lot of the Australian, modern Australian identity is caught up in that no worries, happy-go-lucky kind of way of seeing ourselves. And the reality in the history contradicts that. And if you open up that can of worms too much and you, you actually start to learn about really what did happen at the frontier of Australia as, you know, land was being taken off Aboriginal people forcibly and they fought back, when you understand that's going on, all of a sudden the big picture of what Australia sees itself and most Australians or white Australians see themselves as, it starts to crumble. And I think that can be confronting for many people. Because, you know, the fact is we do have a very, very dark history and the horrible things that have happened in, the history, in, in our history have ramifications today. You know, Aboriginal people are struggling and suffering and doing it tough because of this historical legacy that wasn't even that long ago. And as you mentioned, 1930s, they were still openly slaughtering people, massacring people. And to admit that means that we have to reinvent and we have to rethink what it means to be Australian. And I think for the majority, for a lot of people, that's a really uncomfortable thing to have to sit with. And I think most people don't want to open that can of worms. They prefer to just skip from Captain Cook's straight to the, you know, the happy times and pretend it didn't happen. Because if you acknowledge it happened, you've also got to acknowledge that we need to fix it. We need to pay reparations. We need a treaty. We need to adjust the way we live now. We need to adjust our relations with Aboriginal people and we need to actually strip back and really take a good look at what we're doing and how we can do this better and how we can start this again. Because if you accept the true history, you know, it's a pretty, pretty bleak <laughs> you know, outcome, I think, and I think it, it puts the, the future in question. Well, it does for me anyway. Mm. Just on what you said at the beginning, uh, uh, just then as well, um, you know, I... I attended the Murray School from year two to year seven, as I mentioned before. Um, out, you know, I attended school in Sydney, uh, a bunch of schools in Western Sydney, and then I went to high school at Sunnybank State High School here on the south side of Brisbane. Not once um, outside of the Murray School did I learn anything, you know, actual mm. factual about sort of you know frontier wars and conflicts. Um, you know, w- w- one great thing about, you know, um, the Murray School was we had an identity um, and we had, you know, our peers, our, you know, uh, our teachers, sorry, were, you know, uh, you know, were non-Indigenous but also Aboriginal as well. And, 
you know, we had amazing relationships, you know, uh, uh, with with the teaching staff, you know, um, you know, and yeah, you know, like like we we got to build an identity, you know, we had a, we we had a dance troupe, you know, um, mm. I, I remember, you know, me and my fam were a part of as well, and you know, uh, other kids, you know, uh, would participate and would go all over Brisbane, you know, um, but outside of that, you know, you know, we never really got to experience sort of one, you know, uh, an identity. Um, and then also explore the history as well. Um, mm. And then on, and then, and then on another hand, you know, when it, I remember in high school, you know, certain things would happen. You know, there'd be a death in custody. Um, you know, or you know, it'd be invasion day, or something would happen in the media that would spark conversations. And the next day, you know, if you're lucky, you might get away with it. But if not, you know, you'd be the sort of center or, or, or the sort of knowledge holder of everything that is to be. Mm you know, the answer for, you know, Aboriginal people in terms of your teacher getting in and asking these, you know, hard questions to a teenager or other students as well. You know, I remember, you know, sitting in class sort of thinking, damn, you know what I mean? I, you know, I'm, I'm struggling as it is, you know, you know, with my sort of learning ability and then you want to sort of, you know, have a go at me, you know, for what's happening in mm. society and stuff. You know, it's, yeah, you know, schooling definitely needs to really have, um, do like a 360 in terms of how it looks at, uh, the true history of this country. And then, you know, uh, and I think that's where it begins as well, you know. Um, I think that's honestly where it begins. And I think there's not much in the curriculum to sort of learn about history. And I think those teachers that do it, you know, they have a keen history, uh, sorry, a keen liking, or, or they, or they want to really, really teach you know, this history to, to their students. So they have to sort of individually sort of source this information and put it out there, I believe, and, you know, mm. which is quite sad. In one in one aspect, it's good. In another, it's quite sad that, you know, it's, it's not already there and accessible, you know, for teachers or, or, or whoever else, you know, to sort of look at this as a resource to say, hey, you know, we're going to focus on this because it's in the curriculum instead of like, oh, we're going to sort of switch it up and we want to look at, you know, what happened on, on this day in this area, you know, um, and here's a bunch of, you know, uh, resources that I printed off from, you know, this article or, or this website, you know, like, um, was that sort of the case with yourself when you were teaching sort of this history? Did you find much history um, out there on the curriculum or did you sort of have to source it yourself? Yeah, look, th- th- there is there is stuff available like for, for teachers, but I don't, I don't think it's for many people it would be sort of front of mind. With, with the Australian curriculum, you have a thing called a cross-curricular priority where, you know, you're supposed to embed Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives into all the things that you teach. And, you know, in an ideal world, teachers would be doing that and consulting, you know, local Indigenous groups and getting that information and knowledge. But what what I found and from my bit of experience outside of teaching at the Murray School, which was truly unique in that respect, is that for a lot of teachers that's beyond their their, their grasp or their com- you know it goes outside of their comfort zone but look I, th- I think there is scope for that but you're definitely right it, it, it does fall on the, the individual teacher to go and seek that out but that being said I also think that we are living in probably the best age we've ever lived in for, for accessing information and leveling the playing field in terms of who has access to that information how we share it and how we we amplify that information and this this podcast that we're on right now is a really great example of that by that go back 50 years 
and you know to get an equivalent sort of audience reach and and have access to to an immediate audience that's you know accessible and nationwide, there wouldn't have been an opportunity for an Aboriginal young Aboriginal male to, to get that kind of platform. It just would not have been an option available to them. You know, and I know Uncle Tiger at the station and and Ross they fought very hard to even get you know an hour of broadcasting and an FM license, and you know it was a thirty year fight to get on air and. But these days, you know, there's an opportunity for anybody who's got the, the willingness and, you know, and you need a bit of smarts and a bit of drive, but you can do it. You know, you know, you can start your own podcast. You can, you can write books. And there's been, in the last 10 years, has actually been most of the, the like, crucial information for me about what I've known about the true Aboriginal history of Australia has come from authors that have been publishing books, you know, recently in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, before that, growing up, I remember Blood on the Waddle was was sort of this, you know, stood alone as one of the only sort of books out there that had any anything to say about Aboriginal history that sort of bordered on the truth. But but now you've got all these wonderful authors like Libby, I think you had on the podcast recently, and she's you know up to a second or third book, I think it might be now about different resistance warriors, and and so and I found out about her through the internet and through engaging with other books and reading reviews, and um, so while it is not really in the curriculum at the moment and it is on the onus is on teachers and unfortunately like in your experience sometimes Aboriginal people in the classroom when everyone turns their eyes to them and says what are, what Aboriginal people think about this and expect them to answer for an entire you know, collection of nations but but it is changing and I'm an optimist but I actually think that this is a, a really exciting time for, for truth telling and having the opportunity for these stories to be, be told and you know coming back to, to Jim's Leap my, my um, the song that we're talking about today, like all of the research that I was able to do was either, either on the telephone or online. And, you know, had it been 20 years previous, that wouldn't have been happened. And my curiosity probably would have, you know, faded away or would have hit a dead end and gone, oh, I can't do this, it's too hard and given up. But because of technology and the fact that we, we are able to access information so much these days, it means that we, we can actually share these stories and get them to audiences who can then very quickly pass them on and, you know, tweet about it or share it on Facebook and, or, you know, click, click follow on their, on Spotify and, and get access to this information and call me an optimist. But I think it's really exciting times. And, and I think real history is, is, is slowly coming to the fore and more people are, are knowing about it. Like uh, just to finish that note, one thing that, I think in my lifetime alone, when I grew up, though, I was told that Aboriginal people were extinct. And I believe that because that's what I've been taught in school. And then I went to Tasmania as a young adult and heard that Aboriginal people were still, Tasmanian Aboriginal people were still alive. And, and you know, what? And then, you know, I, I felt really naive. And, I, and now I know that, you know, Nipaluna is the name of what we now call home up. You know, Mount Wellington that I've climbed is, you know, Kanyani. These are things that even in my lifetime, they've gone from having an extinct people to me knowing off the top of my head the Indigenous names for these places. That That is a huge sort of step forward in, in my experience. And I think a lot of people are sort of having those awakenings and those realisations at the moment. And I think it's a wonderful thing. And in many ways, it's been driven by people like yourself and technologies and 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 um, yeah, I, I'm I'm optimistically hopeful. 
No, definitely, brother. I, I, I get like that as well, you know, in the sort of the day and age that we're in now um, with the technologies that sort of, you know, uh, the information at, the, at our fingertips uh, especially, you know, and as you mentioned, you know, um, what's been coming out, you know, in the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years, 40 years, you know, um, has been amazing, has really sort of challenged the narrative in terms of what we think uh, one, what we think pre-colonisation was like, to what we think uh, the relationships were like as well, and and how you know um, institutions became so powerful uh, in this country and and their relationships. You know, one thing that I always say is um, history informs us about the relationships that we have. You know, and it, it informs us what happened in seventeen eighty eight. Uh, and, you know, we can make a correlation to what is happening today and then we can sort of piece together what has happened in between those things as well. And, you know, um, you know, as, as optimistic as we are, I guess, you know, like there's still, you know, um, uh, you know, um, a lot to, to go through and, and to do and, you know, where I'm at, you know, in my life, you know, um, I have two young, beautiful children under four and, um, you know, like I want them to know their history, you know, and I want, and, and I think the, the, the place for me to start is, you know, doing this podcast and sort of, you know, changing how people learn in schools, you know, um, I think, you know, uh, the older generation, you know, the, the ones who aren't, you know, they're, you know, hopefully going to die out and, and take that sort of um, attitude and, and negativity with them and, you know, um, our next generation of people, they are our future leaders. So, you know, let's uh, let's do what we can to, to amplify their understandings of um, who they are, uh, their relationships with each other um, and how they have benefited or, or, or haven't benefited from 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 the historical relationships in this country. And, you know, through that, hopefully we can, you know, understand uh, or, you know, move better. But, you know, that's optimi- optimism and, you know, that's uh, in, a, um, in our heads. And, you know, if we do get to a place like that, it would be, it would be amazing. But, you know, just sort of in wrapping up, uh, with you as well, Patty. Um, any sort of final thoughts? Um, you know, on our conversation. You know, um, I do want to ask you where we can find your your music as well, um, especially this song and and other music from you as well. I think, you know, you're a great uh, songwriter and uh, as well. So you know, your songs outside of sort of, you know, what we're talking about um, are, are amazing as well. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, look, I'll, 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 I've done a recording for this for, you, for this chat, this podcast I did in, I'm in lockdown in my in my backyard. Got a, a car on singing in the background. So when you, I'll send you the link, and um, you know you can put this out with the podcast, and I'll share it around when I share the the podcast, so people can have a listen to this particular song. Yeah. Um, look, I, I guess my my parting thought, if I was to, to have one, is that you know history is not, and this is maybe the history teacher in me talking. History is, is, is accessible. It's available to us. And it's about going beyond, going outside of the, the, the boundaries that you're normally used to. You know, if you're totally dependent on what your parents told you and what school taught you, 
um, you're probably going to be pretty limited in what you know. But look, you know, if through a click of a button and, you know, going to the library, you can actually discover a whole nother world out there and other alternate views of history. And, and this June's Lake story is, is a great example of it. You know, it's, it's one place. It's one story. Only one history happens. Yet there's five or six alternate versions of what happened there. And the truth is in you learning what your truth is going to be and how you understand it. And I suppose that's with any history. It's about learning what, what you can and making your informed decision so that you can then act in our current time in the present in ways that are compassionate and kind and respectful to all human beings. And, and um, it's available to everyone. Mm, that's it. You know, and I think, you know, we're going to come to a place where, you know, uh, this is not just Aboriginal history. It's, it's, it's all of our history. You know, if we call this place home, whether it's, you know, you've got, you know, our, our, their people's, you know, white people's legacy and heritage goes back to 1788 or it, you know, it's, it's just somebody recently sort of arriving here and he called this place home. Well, you know, let's accept that this is our collective history and, and, and we can do better, you know, actively mm. to sort of change um, the current narrative of what is happening because, you know, as far as, as, as long ago, you know, was 1788 or, or the 1930s, um, you know, this narrative still is still here. You know, Aboriginal people are still getting treated as if, you know, uh, we were on the frontier and, you know, that doesn't change until, you know, the broader public understands that, you know, they need to change with it as well. And um, on that note, thank you, Patty Brother, for coming on and having a chat. Um, it's always amazing to sort of uh, catch up with you and have a yarn with you as well. Um, just don't forget, uh, listeners, uh, you can listen to Frontier War Stories on all streaming platforms. Uh, also, you can uh, donate to the podcast by becoming a Patreon member at our Podbean, uh, or you can uh, you know donate to the PayPal, which you can find uh, on my Instagram, which is bonos at uh, bonos eighty nine uh, on Instagram. Uh, there's a PayPal link there. Um, and yeah, you know, th this is episode uh, 22 of Frontier War Stories with singer, songwriter and teacher, uh, Patty McHughes. <laughs>